Let's spell a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today is one of the hosts of Film Rage. It's Jim Evans, everyone. Welcome back. I am so excited. Uh, I've been waiting for this moment for how many months now? I don't even know. I lost count. But the last time you were on, you did Tommy, and you're like, Ken Russell, filmography, you should look into it. And so... I saw this one and I was just like, this looks interesting. Didn't know a thing about it. <laughs> you know a lot more now. We're going a lot more now. Um, and it's funny because I sometimes have happy accidents and the listeners will know this, but Jim, you don't. I do Second Chance Theater on here where we, we cover. Yeah, and, I just heard the last one. Yep. And before this episode is the is Tommy. So we're having a Ken Russell-a-thon on the podcast. It's awesome. <laughs> so somebody didn't like our episode of Tommy? No, no, no. It's just that they have more to say. Ah. So we're here today to talk about Lizdomania, a 1975 film. <laughs> uh, screenpl- very specific. <laughs> film. I don't, I don't know if it's a cult classic. I don't know if a lot of people know about this movie. So it's a film. Uh, the screenplay is by Kurt... Russell music for the most part by Franz Liszt uh directed by Kurt Russell and according to IMDb composer and pianist Franz Liszt Roger Daltrey attempts to overcome his hedonistic lifestyle while repeatedly being drawn back into it by the many women in his life and fellow composer Richard Wagner Paul Nicholas okay Jim, before we get started, I need to talk about my journey with this movie, because (laughs) have you seen this before? I have seen it before, but I haven't seen it since, I don't want to say since it came out, because I was pretty young when it came out, but I have seen it before, but I had forgot a lot about it. I'm I'm a huge Ken Russell fan, huge Ken Russell. He's like, He's probably my favorite director because he's so fucking weird. Did I say Ken Russell before, by the way, or did I say Kurt? I don't. Well, you started with Ken and then you said, and then it was directed. It was written by Ken, Ken but directed Russell. by Kurt Russell. So no, that would have been an Ken interesting Russell. take on this. If Ken Russell. It's all, it's all, oh my God. We're going to have fun editing this. Um, <laughs> so usually what happens on this podcast is I watch a movie once uh if i'm new to it i only watch it once because then you're getting like unfiltered thoughts questions and all that watching this one when we got to russia with the with all the dicks the dick (laughs) columns and roger daltrey having like a seven foot long erection um i i mean i probably felt this beforehand but i was like i'm too sober for this movie (laughs) so i finished it (laughs) The ending kind of beats you over the head with whatever, what the metaphor is. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I watched it again, not sober, and I understood everything. Okay, now you know the trick with Ken Russell films. I understood. So, 
However, this movie is doing a lot. Oh, yeah. But one of my last notes is uh, that I, I need to just share from the not sober notes is honestly, I may have a better understanding of what I just watched, but I'm still fucking confused as to why. As to why you watched it or why you're not confused? No, as, as to why this happened. Why, why, why this Why did this movie events... get made? Someone... Yes, yes. <laughs> because, okay, he's using 19th century composers as representations of countries in the early, early 20th century leading up to World War II. Yeah, he has a... Um, <laughs> well, if you remember Tommy, Ken Russell has a really strong tie-in to World War II. He uses the symbolism of World War II in a lot of his films. Like, he yes. just does. He just... he's he, There was a lot of things that happened in World War II that affected him and his life, right? So... I mean, at the core of this movie, if you ignore everything about it, the movie is about Franz Liszt and him being a pop icon, right? Well, there's also that, but like a modern day pop icon. Because like, yes, there was, Lizdomania is a real thing. It is, yeah, it was a real thing. But I mean, he didn't want to show, because again, it was made in what, 1975? Yes. It's like he wanted to use... 1975 to say this is what it would have been like for us like if like now we're in the 2023 so what would if this movie was made today first off who 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 would have directed it right and who could have done it the same level of justice and then what would it have looked like from a pop icon in today's standards right like Like, still using idols of the the past yeah using using the music of franz Liszt, and how would they have you know, Miley Cyrus sized it, or how would they have? Um, like, actually, Miley Cyrus would have done a great job in this because, oh yeah, she's, I think I feel she's kind of on the edge of, like, she's so popular, but at the same time, she's so weird that it's kind of like it's kind of like this would fit her. Like, I bet you she's seen this movie probably twenty times and wants to live in this environment. I mean, my favorite band, The Flaming Lips. And her have done things together. So I know that, okay. And I think they're the one of the weirdest people on the planet. So, <laughs> which makes me part of the reason why I love them so much. Well, so uh, this movie though, right off the bat, bitch slaps you in the face. Oh yeah. Like it opens with like, I hope you're ready for this people. Cause this is what you're getting. So I'm Yeah, You've seen this multiple times. I'm assuming. No, like, I've only seen it a few. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Out of the two times that I've watched this so far, I don't understand. <laughs> what? I said straight and not straight, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Correct. Yes. Uh, out of the two times, I'm confused as to what the, I mean, are we watching daydreams or are we watching like actual things happen? Because like Ken Russell is also inspired by silent movies in this one. And it's very like the opening when him and Marie are trapped in a piano on a train (laughs) railroad track. I was like, oh, this is clearly some sort of dastardly, like. It's not the whiplash event. Yeah. Yeah. The the heroine is tied to the tracks screaming, help me. But like, obviously we don't hear it because it's silent film. But I was just like, this can't be real. 
Like <laughs> this has yeah, to be it, like it a, wasn't right. Like to your point, it it is like in a lot of his movies, um, he likes to pull in the imagination and the um you know the vision of the person that's doing it it has a fear or has a a dream or has a reality yeah so that he moves in and out of of dream and reality like fluidly that but that you don't notice it right which makes his films so much more avant-garde i think because it's like yeah you watch it this opens with a metronome and then him uh-huh. kissing the girl's breasts and but it just shows not only like it just kind of shows, you know, it's music and it's list at his at his most provocative. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, like, I mean, that's the kind of person he was. He was a womanizer and, you know, he was the rock star of the of that era that, you know, women wanted to to sleep with him and men wanted to be him. Right. Like it was. And so these are some of his greatest fears, I think, that Russell had layered into the film. That's my perception. I mean, I didn't go through and fully look at every critic's review of this and look at that. Like, I don't do that anyway, because I'm a big believer in entertainment. Like, films are made for us to interpret what we get out of it, right? So what I got out of it might have been completely different from what you got out of it. But I love that about a movie. Like if I see a movie that is like, it goes from A to B, it's a guy who walks to the store and he buys a potato and then he goes home and he makes French fries and sells it. And then he falls in love with the first person that, that's he, that buys the potato from him. And then the movie ends. It's like, to me, this is like the worst movie that's ever made because it's just showing you a person who, you know, sold some French fries and got, fell in love like big deal well but this everything in this movie is like i have no clue about what's happening at all any time through it and that's that's a ken russell movie but you it it takes you to emotions that you didn't even know you had i bet true i did feel though that at the end of the movie he was a little too literal yes if we went more of like a pink floyd's the wall approach to it where it they used Nazis, but they didn't really Symbolism. use like swastikas. It was yeah. something similar. Um, I mean, I'm here for Wagner Hitler, but um, I was like, the swastikas were a little too on the nose for what we were just watched. Like, clearly, List didn't get a seven foot long erection. Clearly, that's that's what? metaphor. What? Yeah, yes. of course. Yeah. But that's his fear. Like it was kind of like that whole that whole section was one piece inside of a whole moment with her, right? About yeah. what you have to give me to get what you want, which is more famous, right? Um, and it was like, well, so I mean, I thought that was like, if we're going with my other theory that this is every character represents a different country, I feel like list. Although he says he's Hungarian a couple of times in this movie, I feel like he's America. And when he goes to Russia to meet Caroline, Princess Caroline, which I think she's cold pre Cold War Russia. Like, yeah. We're going yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's like the beginning of the Great Depression because then from then on, you know, 
when List then goes to find Wagner pre Hitler transformation, it's like America's slow introduction into World War II. But I just feel like this is like the excess of America showing off its superpowerness. That's what I got from this scene. I think that Russell himself was, he's a Brit, right? So, yeah, it felt very like American history told by a British person. Uh, yeah, see, I didn't interpret that. Maybe uh, it's because I'm also not an American. So it, it's, it's, vis- what I'm, as I'm watching it, I didn't see that. But what does that say about Americans that watch this then? Maybe they're feeling a little guilty about not entering the war when the rest of the world did. I don't know. I'm just, you know, maybe, maybe that's you're subconsciously saying, why didn't we join when our allies well, and well, so joined? And- I, the only reason why I feel like, List is supposed to represent America is just because the ending when he gets all the women in the story together to create that menorah megazord thing. Yeah. Yeah. It <laughs> felt like that's what Americans are taught when we joined World War II with trumpets blazing. You know, like we're here, the cavalry is here, we're gonna save the day. And they did. <laughs> or or it was just he joined up these women that he'd all had a relationship with to take revenge on evil well yeah and i this is what i wrote down you ready for this yeah the megazord like spaceship with list and the women in his life bombing wagner hitler is obviously the allies defeating hitler access (laughs) i get to say sentences like that in this episode absolutely I've never heard you say a sentence like that before. So <laughs> Neither I'm pretty, did I. <laughs> I'm, pretty, I'm say color me impressed right now. Yeah, yeah, you know, see, again, I think the veil that you're watching this through, if you look at it just from a fundamental, this is list in 1975, what it would feel like. Yes. And I, and then I, the the influences that that see Every country that was in the Second World War as well came out of it with different thoughts about what happened both in the war and how it affected them on it, right? And for Britain, it was like the Nazis were exceptionally more evil because the Brits were the place that they had to try and conquer and that they they were broke, dead broke after World War II. So... There's a lot of people that grew up in that Second World War aftermath in in Britain, and they're thinking, okay, like, you know, Germany had an opportunity to get um, itself back on the ground, but we had millions and millions of dollars of debt that we owed to the Americans because the Americans were making money on both sides of this the whole time, right? So, so not again, I'm not you know, pointing fingers at anybody in particular, but I'm saying that if you were, if you were Ken Russell, the writer director growing up in Britain and in the time, like you, every time he'd probably have the chance to say, you know what, I'm doing a, I'm doing a, a biography about a famous musician who was a rock star, but you know what? I'm still angry about this world war two thing. I'm going to sprinkle it in there too. Because then I had to, I had to look it up because I was like, when were the I, when were these people around like the real figures yeah because yeah. 
I was like, well, maybe Wagner was a Nazi sympathizer if he was around. No, he wasn't around. They both were long even, dead. Yeah, long before, dead. Yeah. Before yeah. World War II. But like, I, I find it interesting that like, maybe the Nazis used Wagner as like a, like at their rallies or something to like mm. type See, I people. thought it was more that people, all, everybody, right? It's like, now if you make a spy movie or a you know, they're like during the Cold War, for example, it was okay to point fingers at Russia, right? Yes. Because Russia was the evil overlord. And then we became friends with Russia, right? And then we're now we're not we're anti-Russia, right? So you now start to see more movies that come out and say, Oh, it's okay that the Russians are the bad guys, because we're kind of at sort of like war with them. So I think Nazism is kind of like the universal belief of evil. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is that it's okay at any point in history since 1948 to say, you know what? We can't we can't think of what the right thing to put in as a villain. So let's just sprinkle in Nazism. Done. Right? Everybody gets that, right? It's like, because ultimately it was the Pope. It was, thank God, Ringo Starr, the Pope, um, decides to, <laughs> to tell was- him... To go and conquer evil. So if you if you were, again, 1975, you lived in Britain, and you said, what is the most evil thing that you can imagine? It's the Nazis. It says, what's the easiest way to put symbolism or metaphors in place that prove evil? So how else could they have portrayed that in 1975 to portray evil? It had to have been Nazis, right? Like. And what's also very fascinating is that although, yes, they slap you in the face at the end with like, he's Wagner Hitler. He is like they dress him up like Hitler. They've got swastikas everywhere. You kind of get that throughout the movie, though. It's not like this came out of nowhere. Yeah. Even though that's how probably some people thought, quote unquote, like how, you know, oh, the Nazis came out of nowhere. No, there was they slowly yeah wagner talks about it slowly throughout if you really pay attention to what he's saying Mm -hmm. and like wagner isn't in the movie for almost 40 minutes so like that's i felt like that was kind of like between world war one and world war two where like world war one i believe we were like okay with germany it wasn't that we were against them like they weren't the big evil as they are in world war two no, they still were. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But but like it wasn't as bad as it will get well, in World War II. Well, yeah, I mean, it's different, right? Because they didn't decide, you know, you know what, we should put some pink triangles or pink stars uh, on people and start killing all the gays and, you know, we should put the yellow ones on for the Jewish people and we should do that, right? Like it was it wasn't like a cleansing ex no. episode, right? It was no. it was very much it, maybe it was more of an innocence war, right? Of like, um, but but inter- but interestingly enough, right? Like the war, like the war has influence in this. Be- I think, but maybe just when you think about it, because like you said, this the actual episodes of this are happening before that. So what war was happening? Like if the Hungarians were at war back when List was a, a, around, because that's ultimately what would have been more of what is. I don't. I didn't look that up, but it was I probably- didn't. But I. But this movie did make me look up 
uh, stuff. You're like, what? I don't like looking up stuff. This is crazy. Because in the movie, List is creating the Superman, which is actually Nietzsche's um, philosophy. And it's part of what Hitler was actually part of. And so they use Robot Thor. Is it a robot? I'm not sure. But Thor. Thor. from, And it's Thor dressed as Marvel Comics Thor. But like bad and so it made me look up greece's involvement in world war ii what yep yep oh my god what where did you go on this journey okay so when you started doing the research was it when you were stoned or not stoned like um the second time was when i was the second time was when i did this research so yeah well because well because i'm like this is from what I've gotten from watching Tommy as well as the boyfriend, which I've done both of them on this podcast, and now Listomania. Ken Russell doesn't do anything on accident. Everything has a reason, everything has oh, a yeah. purpose. So yeah. if we're still going with my theory, my crazy theory that I think is actually true, and we can't ask Ken Russell because RAP. But yeah. if every character represents a country. I feel like Thor is like a blatant Greece reference because Thor is a Greek god. Oh, hi, hello there. Future John here. And while editing this episode, I realized I misspoke and didn't correct myself within the episode. So here I am correcting myself. I know Thor is not a Greek god. I don't know what I was thinking when I, A, looked it up, uh, while watching the movie the second time and be what I meant when I said it in the episode. I don't know what, what my brain is doing. So yeah, please don't at me or at me if you want, you know, the socials. Anyway, here's the rest of the episode. Bye-bye. Although again, he, I think you're right, but I mean, it's, it's like one of those things that if the, the director's putting so many things into it, it's tough for us in 2023 to go back and see what was happening in society back right. then like 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 if i said to you today what do you what do you feel and how do you feel about greece right like you think oh i love greece they make great olive oil and you know who doesn't like a greek it, salad it's very and, picturesque you know. yeah 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 but right like, like, have to... but uh, back then obviously that again 1975 probably written 1974 it's like less than you know, 30 years away from when World War II happened and what, how were they influenced within that? But at the same time, because if he's taking influence from World War II, it's also the fact that, okay, but this is also a film about List who was back in the 1800s, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like... But it's also making commentary on pop icons of the 70s mm-hmm. because... After that weird, like, maybe daydream of what happened when he met Marie and, like, how he started dating her, like, the next scene is the party where there's all these composers, but they're very, like, modern or of the time modern. Yeah. And then when you go to the concert, like, the women are dressed like they live on the prairie or something. Like, it's so... The styling and everything is just so, like, 
clashing and such a so weird that I'm like, I agree with you. It's avant garde, and everything is on purpose. So like, there's a lot of yeah. like, yeah, what am I actually watching? What is this metaphor? I yeah. did the first time I wrote a couple of times like, what the fuck is happening? So <laughs> yes, and I think that's if you were the type of person that loved to do thesis on studying film, right? Yes. You could have a heyday on this film, right? And and I oh my feel God, that, yes. I feel that about a lot of his films, just in general. Like like even our journey when we went through for Tommy, right? There's so many layers within that about why that movie was even written and why it was created. This is like it's based on a, a book about List's life and it just was got Ken Russellized, right? Like it just was like, you know what? I'm yeah. going to put so many layers into this, right? But ultimately, what is it that you're feeling as you go through it? Like if you over, like I always find that, especially with with what I consider some of the best directors that like to put influence into it, it this movie would have been so much more, like if you and I were alive in our age in the set in 1975 and went and saw this at the cinemas, all of the influences and things, they probably would have connected more to us. Right. But yeah. when you watch it now, it's kind of like, okay, I'm watching it with 2023 eyes. What are, what's the feelings and emotions that I have with it? Right. It's like, right. Cause um, we're using like, uh, like modern war as, yeah. or like, or like, maybe we're seeing something in it that maybe Ken Russell didn't even think about. Yeah. Yeah, like, absolutely. I, I feel like though he thought of everything. Like oh, he would have, but for 1975, right? Like, right. And the same thing, like, if you watch enough Ken Russell movies, at least through his early age, he, he came from that same society of um misogyny, right? Like his films are very male-focused. Um, yeah. But in, you know, for example, so maybe at, and by the end of this, it's the women that are taking revenge. Like if I mean, if you really filtered through everything, what was the ultimate message she's putting here? Maybe he wasn't as misogynist as some of his films make him look because he has the women that's actually taking revenge on all the bad things that are happening in society. Like that that's that's one of the things that I feel is so good about. interpretation of film is and what you see in it what i see in it what we got from it is if you try and make it out to try and catch all of the influences in it then you're losing the magic of what the film is right because um as as we're traveling through the journey that is this film i got to learn about franz list and and what it would have been like for him in if he was in 1975 but imagine like because that that they wanting us to be placed in that because we can understand what a concert hall would look like in 1975, but if it was back in the 1800s, it would have that they wouldn't have had the same look of concert halls and you know that type of thing. But you know the people were crazy. It was like the Beatles, right? It was like yeah, that's that, what it's it, like. It was the it was the British invasion. That's what I was thinking of when yeah. Um, when he's in the concert hall and everyone's losing their shit, I'm like, this is the Beatles. Yeah. Imagine now if they, if Ken Russell was still alive, I'm trying to think of who, um, who might be do something that is, uh, have you seen the movie Mandy? No. 
Okay, so um, I feel like the, the Daniels are, are close to to Ken Russell. Yeah, maybe. Although they're not as weird. Um, Everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, I didn't think that was that weird. Like it's it's true. It's 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 still a pretty mainstream film. But I right? feel like they it's use. Wacky. I'd say it's wacky, not weird. They use I think... wacky as a metaphor, as Ken Russell uses avant garde or. Yeah, so whatever we want to classify this as a metaphor. Yeah, see, I think there's still weird directors now. Like, I think Panos as Cosmatus, who directed Mandy, or the guy who did Color Out of Space. I forget. Oh my God, Color Out of Space! <laughs> right, like that's that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Weird, right? Like, um, yeah, that that's the kind of weird that I think. That if somebody made the Beatles story now, that would be sort of equivalent of um, yeah, Richard Stanley. Um, those are the type of people that would make would be the would be able to properly Ken Russellize the Beatles story, right? Absolutely. And and so yeah, I mean maybe he, Ken Russell was also a huge fan of um, of Liszt's music, right? I don't know. Well, speaking of music, since this is a musical podcast, we should talk yeah, this about is that for a, a second. Yes. Um, what what I like what they did is that they took some of List's song, uh, List's mm, music, and then they had a couple people write different lyrics to it yeah. to like make it a song. What's a good one? The Orpheus song. I really like that one because. It was trippy. You heard the influence. You heard the seventies. There was some lyrics, dicks everywhere, everywhere. But like piece that last two at the end, where uh, Roger Daltrey and uh, Jonathan Benson wrote the lyrics to that. That felt like more like a like a seventies song than mm-hmm. like we're oh, taking yeah. the 19th century music and adding seventies lyrics like. That felt more like an original piece. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I I would agree with you. I think I kind of like Roger Daltrey as an actor. I think he's not as terrible as people might think. Um, But what I think in this particular iteration, in Tommy, he was Tommy. Like it was so, he was so brilliant in that. And just his, you know, his whole deadpan face through most of it because of, you know, being deaf, dumb and blind in this one. I, I didn't like his voice in the songs. I didn't think it was a match. Interesting. I felt that I don't know who could have felt it better. Cause I'm a huge who fan too. Like the who of all that era of the late sixties and early seventies, the who was my, was my favorite band of all of it. Like if you take, um them and the beatles and the stones at they were all out sort of at the same time i was a much bigger hoop fan and and then for him for me to say that about him in this movie i thought his voice didn't fit what the music was trying to do now, i don't know who would have been better but i as i was listening to it i was like the grit at times in this didn't need the grittiness it needed like a, maybe it was more of a robert plant type voice in this because uh. the, the grid I found for for Daltrey is the reason why I think I like the Who so much. But I think the the softness that we needed in some of these songs that were mixed with with the classical uh, influences, I think would have fit 
better with someone who has not as much grit to their voice. Like, like, like I think Bowie. Yeah, Bowie could have done an amazing job, and Bowie could have done the acting for it. Well, because well. like, because like, I I do have to give it for Roger Daltrey. He was portraying the rock star stereotype. Yeah, yeah, which was he, great. So the acting, I thought he did really well. I think he really did nail it. But when the songs came on and he sang it, I was like, oh, this isn't. I don't know if you felt that way, but for me, it was like I'm not digging his voice to this song. Honestly, I wasn't really invested in the music because i was more interested in what was happening <laughs> you were getting tripped out oh yeah because dicks so many dicks boobies everywhere and, too and what's wrong with that I, I, well because like i'm like i'm like i'm taking in everything visually that yeah. i don't i didn't really pay attention to the music because like well and it's interesting that it's How about, often have you said that not really (laughs) it's interesting that it's about two composers that i'm not sure if they actually were butting heads at the time that they were out because they were out around the same time um but it felt like the music was so secondary to this Mm -hmm. like they didn't put a lot of they didn't put emphasis on it because you i mean we understand from like the first three scenes that he's a rock star and it's called listomania which was coined the yeah. yeah there's a whole wikipedia page about it yep <laughs> like it's fascinating um but yeah i mean and then there were some songs that i didn't know when exactly they happened because they're not like uh they're singing lyrics that are that don't really match whatever song titles i found online so i'm like i don't know when this happens but okay cool or it may be like because like there was some uh music that they used by wagner that i think it's just the music Mm -hmm. and like there's one i can guess when it happened there's a song called master race where i think that's when he's with the nazi youth yeah yeah makes sense but like i don't know when dante period happened or hungarian rhapsody number 14 i didn't and like i didn't really look them up so this song list that we have i'm not i don't know when half of them happened. yeah so which is different right than a traditional musical because it's like oh here's this person singing it and here's Mm -hmm. what happens and yeah, I would completely, I completely agree with your thoughts on that about how the the music in a musical was like secondary to the whole adventure. It's yeah, you can't. But but that's why. Okay, so you watched it. I keep saying straight, but maybe that's not the right word. You watched it with sober. <laughs> yeah, sober. Yeah. yeah, you watched it sober, and then you watched it not sober and then through the sober part part of viewing it how how were you feeling and interpreting things were you You just going like i want to know more about what's happening and then when you were not sober was it more about like the experience well so both times i will say i just i accepted everything really fast like what i was i was just like of course you every all this makes sense yes the the you have dicks on the wall that are spouting out like gas or something no those are anuses 
Those were butts. I thought they were dicks at one point. No, that no. See, sorry, was, sorry. The butts on the wall, and then the dick the columns. spitting out the gas. Yeah, the dick columns. Yeah. Dick columns. Yeah, I was just like twisted I, dick columns. Twisted dick you. columns. Um, there's something also to be said that this is also the '70s where everything is practical, and we we did talk about when Tommy how Ken Russell loves large sets and everything. So like, there was something. I, I was also like drawn this movie both times drew me into it. I did it like wh- whether I liked it or not. That's not the question. It's more like I, I don't understand. I still don't understand what I watched. <laughs> I was thoroughly entertained though, but like, I don't know what I watched. And so I don't even remember what you asked about whatever times, but just the, the emo- like when you traveled through both spaces, Right. Was especially when the non sober time, did you find it was more about the experience of the film? Oh, yeah. 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 Cause I'm just, yeah. I'm, I, I, I accepted everything. I gave consent to this movie to <laughs> take me on this wild and wacky journey. I uh, was confused both times, but like it's art. It's just art. That's what we watched. And like, yeah, I, I I think I will watch this again at some point in the future just because it's wild. And like I took <laughs> I took videos of like the giant erection and I was like, this is what I'm watching, everyone. How, how's your day going? <laughs> oh, um, but the but the the symbolism of the guillotine and and her vagina was just even more like it was just. I had to, like I didn't not I didn't look away, but I'm like, okay, this is this is a scene that is making me squeamish. That it was just like as he's getting closer with his giant seven foot penis to the guillotine vagina, it was just like what really fascinated me both times. The beginning of this sequence when he's walking toward the massive balloon of like what's between her le- like her legs yes her giant vagina yeah well it's 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 not clitoris maybe the clitoris i don't know no it's in underwear like yeah it's in her it's underwear yeah, yeah out yeah. and about what fascinated me is that somebody had to make that the set yeah 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 well, and then he, he goes down the the slide which is her you know yes and then but like also when we jump later into the movie um when wagner comes back and turns into a vampire question mark because he's also the devil anyway like that was life he was sucking the life out of him well was he sucking the life or sucking the talent Uh, yeah i think it was both but yeah you're right i would say it's more talent he was like but that's but they kind of talked about that about how list was actually the influencer for Wagner, right so it's like it's like you're just sucking me dry right so but, but and like, stealing my ideas right but like that set piece is so great like all the set pieces here are grand and beautiful and you have to commend them because they built that it's not because yeah. i feel like if it were made today half of it would be cgi oh it would all be cgi like you can't make movies like ken russell makes in yeah. any of them t- that today that I mean, they. I don't know. I, we could talk for seventeen hours about how crappy CGI has destroyed 
art in cinema, but uh, you're right. I would agree with you. I think that, that Ken Russell was of an era that was an artist. Like I'm making an art piece. This movie is an art piece. Every single scene, like you say, is direct and distinct and meaningful. And this, every set piece that's in that scene is both beautiful. Um, it's, it's enveloping for your senses. And at the same time, it's, it's, it's just so marvelous. Like you, I could just watch this movie with the sound off. Maybe why you're saying about the music too, and just listen to something else, right? Like I could listen to the who while I was the entire who anthology and watch this movie. I I see what you were saying earlier about Roger Daltrey's voice. Cause he has like a very specific rocker voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like he was a muse for Ken Russell. Oh, and obviously, because he's used him so much. But also, they might have been more closer in age, right? Like, I think, actually, now that I think about it, Freddie Mercury might have played this role really well, too. Because he has that sweetness and softness to his voice that could could have done this so much more justice. I was going to throw out Elton John. Yeah, Elton John probably could have, too. Because, like, Elton John does have a little bit of a grit to his voice, but it's not like Roger Daltrey. And yeah. Elton John can be softer. Mm-hmm. I actually appreciated his vo- Roger Daltrey's voice in Peace at Last. Yes, that no, was yes. I hundred percent agree with you. Hundred percent. Yeah. I th- but that wasn't the song that I noticed it in. It was in some of the other ones where it was kind of like oh, this isn't fitting for me. Like it's kind of taking away from what's the imagery that's happening. Almost. I'm trying to figure it out. But again, I don't remember a lot of these songs. Again, they're just secondary to what's happening in the scene, except for when he when it's the first one, the Rienzi and Chopsticks Fantasia. <laughs> so that scene is so good, like it's, it's so good. Yeah, and I'm like, why Chopsticks? First of all, like, is it is Chopsticks supposed to be like the free bird of the time? <laughs> Maybe. When did what? The bigger question is, when did Chopsticks get written? Oh, right? I didn't, that I didn't look up. Yeah, well, let's look it up now. It's Waltz. It's a Waltz. No, Chopsticks Waltz. Oh, so it's written in 1877. So, so it was written yeah. around the same time by a British composer. Yep, Euphemia, Euphemia Allen. That's also interesting that like he's using chopsticks is also of the period that yeah. these pe- historical figures are from. Yeah. But like, I feel like this movie doesn't really have a time period, which is very oh, fascinating. Here, here we go. There's a comment here in chopsticks, a supplementary paraphrase by Franz list was later appended to the collection. So Liszt actually had it as part of his repertoire. There we go. Right? It's kind of like, what do you, you know, Miley Cyrus comes on and you're going to be singing Wrecking Ball, right? Like, come on, we want, quit playing all the other stuff. We want Wrecking Ball. Come on. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So even another layer added to why Chopsticks. Yeah. Like that, to to your point. Um, Because I didn't put as much thought into making points as you apparently have. I mean, it's not my (laughs) podcast, so I don't have to make anything too important. I can come off as 
as an idiot, which I normally do. I'm the one who has to guide uh, the guide the guests. That's right. You have to guide us. I'm your I'm your Sherpa. That's right. You're Sherping me up this this Ken Russell Hill. But <laughs> you know the there you're right. I think everything he does is intentional, right? And there's it's like Stanley Kubrick, right? Like there's yes. movies there's movies made about Kubrick and every scene he puts into a movie right like there's there's movies about his movies because of the intent of everything that he does right and trying to interpret everything he does and maybe if we did a bit more reading specifically around ken russell and what his vision was on each one of the films maybe he would spell it out but most of the directors that i'm most fond of like kubrick as an example I think that just the experience that it takes you through and the same with um, uh, David Cronenberg, who's probably who is my favorite director of all time, because you don't get as fucked up and weird as Cronenberg. Right. Without spending time being fucked up and weird. Right. And and yeah. his his commentary around film and his films that he makes is that I don't know what this is about. To me, this means something, but I want you to watch it and tell me what it means to you like this. This. I didn't write this to be like the boy who walks and buys the potato. I didn't buy, I didn't write that story. I wrote the story that you want to watch this and try and figure out what it means to you. Right. It's like I'm creating motion picture art. Mm -hmm. Not like, because like there are artists that paint, there are photographers, filmmaker. Yeah. I feel like Ken Russell is a artist that's a filmmaker. Yeah, that's right. That's a that's a great that's a, a great see. You are the brains of this operation, aren't you? But it's true, right? It's like when you go into a, an art gallery, right, and you're looking at a piece of art, and you see you stand back, and you can stand like as close to the piece of art as as possible, and and see something, and then step back and see something different, and then step back further and see something different, and then step back further and see something different in certain pieces, right? That's why um, you'll go to an art gallery and they'll, some of the art galleries will have, you want to stand here to view this painting. Right. Because if you're standing at a different angle or a different position in it, you're not getting the full grasp of the, the artist's rendering of what they want you to see. And, and to I con- think- I was going to say, and to continue with this metaphor, when you're closer to a painting- you can see like the brushstrokes and the intention mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the artist has. And like, that's what we did in this where it's like, I, or like, at least I, I know I did. Cause like, I was like, somebody had to make those balloon legs and, you know, you had to appreciate the craftsmanship and the work, the hard, hard work that went into crafting this. Cause like, this isn't right. A regular apartment or something like they are making things period but also mashing 70s and mm-hmm. so they're creating this iconoclast of i think i used the right word we're going with it of like yeah. art and so then when you like look at the big picture pun intended you can appreciate it more and look at all the elements and still ask what the fuck did i just watch yes absolutely you i've never i've never seen a ken russell movie and come out of it not thinking 
20 different thoughts and, and my brain going in 20 different directions, right? Because you can't grasp everything all on one viewing also, right? Like it's just, no. you can't. And, and I feel and, like, you know, I feel like though, Tommy is a little bit more straightforward than this. It one. is, but I mean, there's still a lot going on in Tommy that it's kind of like, Hey, what the hell was that about? And what the hell oh, was that about? Right. Like, I'm, I meant like plot wise, you know, you're, Oh yeah. The, Tommy, the boyfriend, if you've seen that one as well, there's a there's a little more structure to it. Yeah. Then I feel like this is the one where Ken Russell's like, because it came out the same year as Tommy. So he was like, all right, mm-hmm. I'll do the straightforward storyline based off that of the music. Yeah. Make the money. And then this is my this is my Pete, my my passion. My love for list, maybe. Like is or it- or just like I wanna I, I have this crazy idea. I wanna, I, I wanna mash up the '70s and 19th century composers. Throw in a little World War II, throw in you know commentary on pop culture, um, maybe ta- and like also throw in sex because because I'm Ken Russell. Because I'm Ken Russell. Yeah, we we need boobies. Yeah, um, and dicks. Like and, and dicks. So many dicks. So many dicks. I I don't know his other works but this one definitely needs a second viewing and like whether it's sober or not sober that's up to you i just understood it more not sober but i also think it was because i watched it in the same day so like Mm. i had i watched it hours went by i watched it again so like when i got to the ending i was like okay you're doing world war ii wagner hitler i see you so then going back, rewatching it, I think I was trying to like make it connect <laughs> in more ways. Trying to connect. That's your first mistake. Don't try and connect it. Well, just lie back, especially if you're not sober and just absorb everything that Ken Russell has to offer. Yeah. I still don't know who the two random blonde women are when we're in heaven, question mark, at the end of the movie. Uh, Yeah, they were different people that maybe one of them was the one at the very beginning like they're obviously they're intentionally in there for if only we could watch this on prime because you know prime video if prime video had it it would have been better because you can pause it and it tells you all the actors a little extra yeah go back into it and see on it right but i but yeah. before we get into Sharp and Flat, though, and I would be remiss if I didn't mess- mention this, this movie also kind of reminded me of Nine, the... Cartoon? No, the movie that's based off of Eight and a Half, the Fellini mm. film. Mm. It's because it's a man surrounded by all these women who have their own opinions, and and like, but he's not listening to them. And he's treating them kind of like shit. But in this one too, I didn't find he was treating them like shit. He was there was always a mutual um like they each got something out of the relationship. No, I feel like maybe confusing this with another movie. But I feel like Marie at one point, who I think is his wife. No, I don't know if he had a wife because they made the commentary that she was married to somebody else. Right, that she was his mistress that she had had kids with. Kids with, and so like, but like farm, right? But but like, she calls him the. Well, that's weird that she's his mistress and not the other way around because she was the one that was married. But yeah, 
neither here nor there. Not my point. Um, yeah. It's it's. She says that like I'm okay with being one of your mistresses, and I'm like, there's like a weird double standard where like she, I guess, can't have suitors as well. It's weird. Well, she could have, but she, there's just the the relationship that they had, right? Yeah. But I think because of when he was with the countess or whatever, the the Russian the princess. Uh, yeah, the princess. I mean, she was in the power position in that one, right? I mean, she's the one True. that had the guillotine vagina. So, <laughs> and then little Nell shows up, and I'm like, "Hi, welcome. I'm so glad to see you in another movie besides Rocky Horror and Shock Treatment." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which Rocky Horror came out the same year too. Isn't that good funny, year for movies? Eh? 1975 yeah. seemed like a good year for musical movies. <laughs> yeah, now you're going to have to find out all the 1975 musicals. Oh, no. <laughs> it sounds like more research on your More work. Um, but Jim, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into Sharp and Flat? I think people should go into this film. Like, I don't think a lot of people would search out this film. I don't know how they would unless they saw a movie of Ken Russell's or they maybe became a really big um, Who fan, right? Like, what would be the thing that would draw people to actually out of the middle of nowhere? Because so the interesting thing I found about this is this was this is easy to find. Like, I bought a copy of this. I on, bought it on Prime. Yeah. Yeah. See, I bought it on uh, on Apple. So you can still get this movie. So people are obviously watching it. But what is driving people to this movie? I have no clue. Like, I think if you want to recommend it to somebody or if you want like more people to watch it, you should be like, did you like Tommy? Well, yeah. this is Tommy on even more drugs. Yeah, this is this is ele- es- elevated or escalated Tommy. This is I think this is the true inside of Ken Russell's mind. This is like. Like you show them Acid Queen from Tommy and be like, this is the whole list of mania, but like up to 10, like it's turned to 11. That's right. It's one louder. It's, it's one, one louder. louder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I think, I think it's a movie that any, but it's, it's funny because it's not really, I didn't find it so much a musical though. To maybe to your point, it's like there's no. not a lot of songs in it that are written so that there would be a soundtrack that people could listen to. And we're going to obviously talk about that in a little bit. But it is a musical because there's parts in it where they're singing. But yes. it's it's not it's not a musical in the true sense of the word or, or maybe it's Ken Russell's musical. But uh, yeah, I would, yeah. I would say I don't know why people would see this. I am just so grateful that I rewatched it again. That's that's what I'm and now that I own it cuz I will watch this again. I mean, there's a few people that I might just recommend it to and be like, "You like wild and crazy batshit things? Listomania." This is this is this is the one. This is this is one that you should see. But yeah, this is definitely not going to be for the a lot of the people that I think that listen to your podcast are not going to run out and go, "Wow, I'm sure you never you never know there might be this might be the one that gets like a million downloads or whatever (laughs) (laughs) but but, you know your regular listeners right like it's it's not it's not like you it's not like like you never and that's the beauty of this podcast is that you're getting um i'm getting as exposed as well as hopefully the listeners to a wide variety of like what is a musical 
Because mm. yeah. I would say that this is like the musical genre is maybe like tertiary for this mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. but it's still there because mm-hmm. because uh, they definitely break out into song. Yeah, they do, and you know it's all focused technically on the actual musician list, right? It's just you kind of forget that that's who it is after a while. I'm, I'm also surprised because Wagner, I know a lot of his operas and you're also Mr. Opera Man, if I remember correctly. Like you're, I prefer t- operas to musicals. Yes. Right. I am surprised that they didn't do, they didn't have Ride of the Valkyrie in this. Yeah. Or something from the ring cycle. Because mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean... But they didn't they want probably I mean, thought it is, about it. Yeah, but it is lists, right? It is list story. So well, they also, but they also had some of Wagner's songs in it. That's what yeah, I, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm surprised they didn't, especially at the end there. I think as a musician, List isn't as good a musician as Wagner, right? Like Wagner's known to be brilliant, right? But you mm-hmm. don't people don't normally talk about List's work. I think he was. Yeah. More of, I think well, he was nowadays. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, obviously, back then, Liz Demania. But what? But but was it because of? Was it because like? I mean, it's not fair to compare it to the Beatles, but in one way, it is. I mean, the Beatles still had talent, right? But um, like, they they I, became more Elvis, right? It's like it's like no one was grinding their 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 pumping their you know juice out everywhere with everybody. That that was driving the the people crazy right so but was it you know what i mean like was the music that was going people were going listen and go wow this is blowing my mind or was it they wanted to see him you know crump his torso on stage and sing chopsticks right it's like that that would make anybody want to go see him right but was he actually good what did he write good music or did he know how to entertain i didn't go that far into it i was too busy looking into world war ii and all of the dicks and boobies. And all the dicks. So, um, so I know you asked only maybe a short version, but I think this movie you could unpack forever. And it's worth for, if nothing else, to see the seven foot penis almost get cut off. Mm-hmm. And or maybe it did. We don't want to spoil it for you. And that whole sequence, just, I feel like the Russia sequence is the one where I'm just like, okay, we're in. like, if you were going to recommend this to people, you just also have to come with a disclaimer. Just accept everything. Don't question. Just yeah. let it let it wash over you. Yeah. It's like a beautiful warm bath. <laughs> yes. And that is the ending pull quote of the episode. And here we go into Sharp and Flat. Sharp. Flat. So in this section, we're going to highlight some moments, whether or not we talked about it. If we liked it, it's sharp. And if we didn't like it, I thought it could change. It's flat. Can we start with flats? Yeah. Like, I don't have that. Want. I don't have that many flats. The one flat that I feel like we can kind of agree on, although we praised it for being high art, I feel like the narrative was very confusing. And that's why it's my one of my flats. Because, like, when we go into the silent films, I did appreciate that. And, like, there was moments, especially, um, I think it's the love dream, where that's the one where it's him and Marie in, like, the log mm. cabin. Yeah, and yeah. make the babies. I knew that one was a fantasy. But there are moments where I was like, 
it what is real what is fantasy i wish there was just something that's like oh list you're in your head all the time just that like it doesn't need to be like super spelled out but just something i'll agree with you i think that why i like stuff where i don't i have to try and figure out if it's fantasy or reality i like that but i would agree with you that I think it needed a little bit more clarity and and the reasons for certain things happening. Yeah. It didn't really spell out that anything is just like, okay, let's put this scene in and then let's put this scene. I don't know if it was as tied neatly and cleanly together as it could have been because it was just like, okay, now, you know, we need to go see the Pope, but then nothing got answered really on the reason they went to go see the Pope other than it's like, there's some of the clarity to it. So I guess, yeah, I would say agree that that would be a flat a little bit for me too. And then my other flat is the Nazi imagery because we understood what was happening without it. Mm. So I don't know. But how would we have known what true evil was without it being represented by Nazism? Like, I'm just asking as a question. I, I meant more of like the swastika, the uniforms of everything. I wish it was like a different symbol or something because we understand that Wagner is turning into Hitler basically or he is Hitler I don't know where he was just evil the Pope thought he was evil because he was evil he's the devil he's a vampire he's Hitler he's all these negative things it's just like I feel like we just didn't really need the swastikas I feel like you could have come up with a different symbol that looks close enough like i said with the wall they use the hammers as the uh soldiers hammers yeah Yeah. so i feel like if you used something else i get it because like i even the first time i watched it i understood we were doing nazis especially in that scene right before wagner resurrects as wagner hitler um, when he's with the kids, that's when I was just like, I get it. Mm. I understand who you are representing yeah. now. Yeah, maybe it's because the there's a lot of subtleties to some of the things that happen, but this was very yes. smacky in the face. Because prior to the that moment, so I think for like the last hour of the movie, you're seeing these daydreams, these silent film references, you're seeing the mashup of time periods, you're seeing other symbolism and things like that, that all of a sudden were being very literal. Yeah. Uh, So to me, I was perfectly fine with the Nazi symbols, but I understand what you're saying in the sense that let's not go smack me in the face with a giant seven foot Nazi symbol. Right. Let's, let's have that more subtly. Right. So. Like if it was if it was more dicks. Yeah, see if they would have had dicks in the shape of the Nazi, it would have been way better. Because because then he could have been tapping into the patriarchy, even though I don't think that was a prevalent <laughs> term back in the 70s. Yeah. True. No, I'm actually being serious here. Because you even no, yeah, you even said that like Ken Russell used men as the primary force of his movies and the women were like kind of secondary, even though they hold an important part. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Anne Margaret. I'm thinking of Princess Carolyn. I'm thinking of even Marie in this at some points and Cosmina. Yep. But it's all about the man. So, yeah. So if this movie were to be remade today, just use dicks. Yeah. Well, that's a symbol. 
No, I, I, I wasn't laughing in the sense that I didn't think you were serious. I was laughing because I'm picturing a bunch a, of dicks, a dicks. Shape, shape of Nazi symbols. So yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's like, it's like fart jokes. I can't help but laugh. <laughs> and someone says, it. well, it's, it's a dick. <laughs> I love dicks. <laughs> uh, what were your flats? <laughs> so uh, yeah, I would say the, the choppiness of that specific transitions was a bit choppy for me. And, I felt that a little bit of a flat, but I've already talked about it a little bit. My biggest flat was I just think Roger Daltrey was not the right voice for this, for this movie. I just didn't, I, as an actor, yes, I think he did a good job as the singer in some of these songs that, that needed, um, I don't want to say he had less range because maybe that's not just it. I just didn't find his voice fit the music that was written. You didn't I like the, didn't... The, the, the timbre. Yeah. I, I didn't. I thought I thought now that I'm thinking about someone like Bowie, someone like um Freddie Mercury, somebody like um Is it because he kinda a, has like a little bit of a rasp? It that... is the rasp, but also just like it it wasn't smooth. Like it wasn't the the delivery of the lyrics sometimes came out not like like coded through my through my throat of lusciousness that the whole musical arrangement was bringing and it was just like it was kind it's kind of like it wasn't severely like this but it was a very small amount of fingernails going down a chalkboard as i'm listening to the music going <laughs> and i'm like i'm like okay I, i'm okay because i love roger daltrey and i love the who but this is not working for me this needed to be somebody else singing this song and i don't know who it was but it wasn't him for me. So that was a flat for me. I, I just I just thought they could have had somebody with a, with a more fitting voice for that part. You know how you, you can hear Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, which is still a great song. And you think, okay, that's great because it's Leonard Cohen. And then you hear Katie Lang sing it. And you're like, every other person that has sang this song doesn't even come close to Katie Lang's version of Hallelujah. Oh, like, it's see, just... I, I like rufus wainwright's oh not even close like no i'm sorry but For we me, all but we all yeah. have our own different yeah. views i un- and this is like i understand what you're saying because i can hear i hear what you're saying but like it didn't really to to me it didn't really bother but like yeah, I, yeah. Un- I would love to see bowie do this because yeah. i feel like he would fit right in oh, to yeah. a ken russell movie oh yeah yeah, totally. Oh, totally. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that would be my flat. That, that was my biggest flat. All right, sharps. Um, I did love the mashup of the time, the the styling, the sets. You know, we're doing, we're inspired by late nineteenth century, but also we're doing seventies and as well as every time period in between. It was fascinating that party scene looked gorgeous so sharp for that as well i also sharped how over the top the sets and costumes are there's one moment before he leaves for russia where him and marie are lounging in a piano what and he's wearing a robe that has like a keyboard collar and cup like chef's kiss amazing it's camp i love it but and art and all that so sharp to that um i did 
also sharp the silent movie montage between list and marie i thought it was very well done and like you can tell ken russell really studied silent the silent film era to get it right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it felt like they were honest it's not like they were caricatures of clara bow or um who's the one that did all the stunts buster keaton buster keaton yeah um and then my last sharp is for the line the line delivery it's so good he doesn't have a soul to save poor soul (laughs) like (laughs) genius i I love that line actually genius what were your sharps um uh, the biggest sharp for me was the over the top sex sexness of it like he oh. he does have a lot of scenes. He does put phallic things in a lot of his movies. It's very symbolic for for him and his films. The fact that um, the whole scene with the giant seven foot dick is just it's beyond. I could watch that seventy two times over. Oh, never bizarre. tire. Of it. Never tire of it. I love the ongoing relationship with him, lists and his daughter and the voodoo doll where he plants the idea in her head is like, cause she has a, a doll of her dad cause he's never around. And then he says, I hope you don't use it as a voodoo doll and the look on her face. And then the next thing, like she's playing with his hair and then he's going like eh, touching his head. And then she uses that against him later on in the movie is just so, so brilliant that he fit that in there. Um, it's also interesting because I wasn't sure exactly like if we're going with the country references as well. I didn't know mm. who she was mm. um, because she would say lines like, I pray to God every night that you meet the devil so you can sell him your soul just as you wanted. And then she sides with Wagner. So I wasn't mm. sure if she was like complicit Germans or just neo-Nazis or something like that because yeah, they were it could have been just father figure things right like she was getting married went with wagner to get back at him right about him neglecting but she was things. married to some other dude yeah she was married to the other dude who was his assistant guy that was his direct protege and yeah yeah right so yeah i mean i don't know either i i don't know i i didn't catch the country thing i, I that didn't that didn't go back watch it and figure it out well that'll be my next time i watch it i'm I'm going countries on this one this time instead of just (laughs) absorbing everything so yeah i mean and then you had mentioned it but i i cannot like i cannot stand cgi i love practical effects i love how there's not a scene in this where you watch and you go like in today's dollars this would have cost megabucks Oh, yeah. Just build that room. Like the room where they, every single room you enter is like a feast for the eyes. Like it's just spectacular. Any set that was built for this, he just has an eye for art that I could just lose myself in. So the set pieces in this and the and this costume design, as you mentioned, yes. are steal this show. Like they just really steal the show. Because, like, even that scene where Wagner ends up sucking the life or talent out of List, mm-hmm. the set piece itself 
is bare. It's like <laughs> all white or like off white. It's it's very like subdued for what the rest of the movie is, but like there's yeah. so like the details of it, the the stacks of newspapers that is like a staircase yeah. as well. Yes. The, the window that is a huge prominent feature. The you know there there's enough in the eye uh, to for the eye to be mystified. Yeah, and get lost in like you just you really can just get lost in the visuals in a Ken Russell film. I find yeah this one and um, for me Salome's Last Dance. If you have if you haven't seen Salome's Dance, Last Dance, you said me that you said that last time. Yeah, Yeah. and And my charge for you is to see that one when you have time because there's also some great dick pics in there too. So right, I mean. There's also there's also something to be said, and I and I think it's sharp worthy as well that it's not just the women who are naked because like he does yes. have the seven foot long dick, he does have yep. the dick columns. I am not a hundred percent sure on the gas chamber if it's dicks or butts, but there's something. Uh, it was butts because there was the gas was coming out was the was the butts. I, okay, got to rewatch yeah. that scene now. Go back to that. The women who are naked it's on purpose because i feel like a lot of 70s mm-hmm. films gratuitous yeah yeah they're just like we can show boobies yeah so let's so let's yeah, yeah i'm on i'm totally on side with that like I, I, one of the things that angers me is that they do put women in that are nude and they don't put any men in that are nude right like it's just that yes. doesn't make sense to me like it but it is interesting has probably something to do with the rating system that you can show breasts and maybe it's not a higher level, but when you start to show, you know, below the belt, of we- wiener, right? wiener and, and opposite of wiener, then it gets into a whole level of, of rating system, right. Which takes a whole audience away from it. Right. But still I'm like, I mean, to me, I am very pro nudity if it's done for the right reasons, but, but I'm anti have- nudity. Yeah. But if you have a comically large di- dick, oh, I'm always on side with that. Like there should be but, a comically I'm, I'm, large dick in every movie. That would. But it, I was saying, if you have a comically large dick, you may not get that X rating. That if you were to show an actual penis, mm, yeah, maybe. I don't know what this got. Like I don't know all the pomp and circumstance around that. But but I did notice that they they put as much detail as to put as put giant veins into that giant penis too. So I mean, if you're gonna make it, like i wonder who who modeled that giant penis because i'm kind of curious like maybe roger daltrey who knows man or maybe it was ken russell maybe he's like i'm gonna be in this movie well parts of me will be in this movie so yeah I, <laughs> the biggest the biggest sharp is the biggest penis obviously um would you add any songs to your, from this movie to your life's playlist i don't think i would um however i would say that um the one they closed with what's it called peace at last yeah peace at last i think could have been a bit of a pop song to me and it was the only one that would come close to maybe making it into my yeah because i feel like the rest of them are a little and i use this excuse a lot but it's true like they're a little too precious to the story like Mm -hmm. it's a little too like for the movie i'm i -hmm. always like to i always say that i treat this question like I'm just listening to the album. I'm not right. watching it. Yeah. So I added piece at last. Yeah. Because that felt like, like you said, an actual pop song that mm-hmm. 
I can pull away from. And I like, I may envision the Menorah Zord defeating um, Hitler, Wagner <laughs> Hitler with his gun tar. Um, yeah. I had fun making up words with this movie. For this movie. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of fun in this for sure. That's it. It's not like every other musical for sure. And on that note, Jim, we're done with the episode. Unfortunately, I know you and I could talk hours for this, but I don't think the people want to listen to it. So <laughs> uh, what do you have to plug or promote? Uh, you can find Film Rage podcast everywhere you do your podcasting. And you can find our website at filmrageyyc.com for everything Film Rage. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Film Rage YYC and on pretty much all the socials. And if you, what do I want to ask them? No one answers these questions, but what do I want to ask the, the listeners? What do you want to ask the listeners about yeah. what? Like I usually, I usually like ask something for them to, to then segue into the socials, you know, to like answer a question in the socials. Oh, okay. So let everybody know whether or not you've actually seen Listomania, number one. And number two, if you haven't, once you have, then post something on it. And then number three, if you haven't, have you seen any other Ken Russell movies? And you can do all that by reaching out to me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram. I'm still on Twitter. Twitter X. Whatever it's called these days. at Buttersong, And TikTok at buttersongpod. Um, oh, if you understood my wild theory about the countries that every character is represented by a country what is your list i'd love to hear it uh, or read it um and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation well we're doing another second chance theater and it's gonna be rent jim thank you so much for coming back on and uh going on this journey with me <laughs> it's a journey all right it was a wild because i I knew I needed to watch it a second time. And cause I, a lot of the first time I'm just like, what the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What is happening? The second I'm too time sober for this. <laughs> I am too sober for this. Uh, and hopefully y'all weren't too sober. You all were sober enough for this episode. Bam. There we go. Full circle. Thank you, Jim, for coming back on. Thank you for everyone for listening and bye for now. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.